have been over the past year walking in our evening services through the teachings of the Belgic Confession. And today we turn to the last article about the government of the church, Article 32. It's on page 849 of the Gray Songbook. Article 32 of the Belgic Confession on the order and the discipline in the church. Um, so, okay, let's, let's do what we've kind of been doing for the last uh, few evenings, which is um, we'll kind of alternate paragraph by paragraph. So I'll read the first paragraph, and then you will respond with the second paragraph, starting with therefore, and then I'll read the third paragraph, and then you read the fourth paragraph. So. We also believe that although it is useful and good for those who govern the churches to establish and set up a certain order among themselves for maintaining the body of the church, they ought always to guard against deviating from what Christ, our only master, has ordained for us. Therefore, we reject all human innovations and all laws imposed on us in our worship of God, which bind and force our consciences in any way. So we accept only what is proper to maintain harmony and unity and to keep all in obedience to God. To that end, excommunication with all it involves, according to the word of God, is required. The Belgian Confession, Article 32. Our scripture reading to go along with the reading from the Confession is from Paul's letter to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to start reading at verse 13, and we're going to read all the way through 6, verse 10. So Galatians chapter 5, toward the end of the chapter. As we prepare now to read God's word, let's come before him in prayer. O Lord our God, we thank you for the gift of your holy word. We thank you for the ways in which it challenges us. We thank you for the ways in which it points us to you. But most of all, we thank you that through these words, we come to know who you are as our Lord, our God, and our King. And we pray now that as we read these holy words that you have inspired through your spirit, that you would send that same spirit to us now to open our eyes, to open our ears, to open our minds, and to open our hearts to everything that it is that you would have us see and hear and know and believe. Transform us more and more, we pray, into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, the Word of God. Galatians 5, starting at verse 13, the Apostle writes, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. 
If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to anyone else, for each one should carry his own load. The word of the Lord. Oh, I'm going to read through verse 10. Sorry. <laughs> each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, Article 32 of the Belgian Confession is one that in Reformed circles raises not only eyebrows, but often painful Article 32 is where we find the famous Reformed Conscience Clause, by which Reformed Christians reject any human innovation to the gospel, to worship, or to doctrine that binds their conscience in any way that they feel goes contrary to the Word of God. Article 32 is also where we find the Confession's summary of the Bible's teachings on excommunication, the most extreme act of spiritual discipline that a church can in which a person is essentially removed as a member of the church and prohibited from participating in the sacraments or in the life of the church. 
both the exercise of the conscience clause and the practice of excommunication have a, let's call it a rich and complicated history in the reformed tradition. The conscience clause has frequently been used by people to prevent or at least stall changes in worship and church order. It's also been used by people on the other end in an attempt to basically get rid of the parts of church order and even the confessions that they disagree with. Probably the most famous use of, uh, the most famous example of the use of the Belgian Confessions Conscience Clause is the history of the Canadian Reformed Church. The Canadian Reformed Church is the result of a split that happened back in the Netherlands before uh, the people who now form the Canadian Reformed Church emigrated to Canada. A, a split in the Reformed Church in the Netherlands in 1944. It was a small group of churches led by a man named Klaus Skilder who broke off from the larger Reformed Church of the Netherlands to form what they called the Liberated Reformed Church. And the reason that they broke off from the larger Reformed Church was because they believed that the General Synod of the Reformed Church in the Netherlands had adopted too strict of a teaching on baptism, too specific of a teaching on baptism which many faithful Bible-believing Christians disagreed with. And so to remain part of the Reformed Church, these churches, these Christians, would be forced, in a way, to ascribe to a view of baptism that they thought went against the Word of God, that they thought Scripture did not demand. And so they appealed the decision through, and this gets a little tricky because this is Article 32 of the Belgian Confession, but they appealed the Synod's decision through Article 31 of the church order, and so they're called the Article 31 church often uh, in uh, reformed circles. But church order changes and Article 31 isn't the same as it was back when they split off. And I think that they could just as easily be called the Article 32 church because the theological foundation for their disagreement with the larger reformed church in the Netherlands came from this conscience clause here in the Belgian Confession, Article 32. Excommunication, of course, is another matter entirely. Some of you may remember the days when excommunication was not so much used as a last resort, and people were barred from communion fairly regularly. People were excommunicated from the church for all sorts of reasons, for divorce, for pregnancy outside of marriage, for shady business dealings, for alcohol abuse, many of the things listed here in Galatians 5 as acts of the sinful nature. Many of the stories that I've heard about excommunication are stories of incredible shame, exclusion, and abandonment. And sometimes these things might make us wonder whether we might just be better off without Article 32 of the Belgian Confession. But at the heart of Article 32 is a profoundly good and a profoundly biblical concern. As much as possible, we ought to govern the church as closely as we can according to God's word and not stray beyond that. We should not require from people more than scripture requires. We should not require from people less than what scripture requires. We should in all things aim in Paul's words to keep in step with the Spirit, to do good to all people, 
or as the Belgian Confession puts it, to maintain harmony and unity and keep all in obedience to God. At the heart of Article 32 is a biblical desire to live together as God's people following God's will. We aim for true and pure worship founded on biblical principles. We aim for true, true and pure discipleship that follows the word of God and the will of God. We aim for true and pure righteousness in which we all keep in step with the Spirit in following Jesus throughout our lives. And so it makes sense then that we would reject any human innovation, any imposed law that forces our consciences in a way that we believe goes contrary to scripture, contrary to the Spirit's prompting in our hearts, contrary to what God reveals to us in his word. It makes sense then that we follow scripture's teaching and properly, properly exercise the church's spiritual authority and that sometimes as a last resort we use the authority that God has given us to warn people about the extreme danger of their sin. Because when rightly used the conscience clause is a reminder to the church to always be sensitive to the spirit's prompting and to use careful discernment together to decide whether a teaching and interpretation, a practice, is from God or is from some other source. When rightly used, excommunication is an exercise of the church's spiritual authority, a last resort used to warn the members of the flock entrusted to our care of the consequences of sin. Any human laws that demand more or less than what scripture demands should rightfully be avoided. Any sinful behavior that threatens to divide or destroy God's people should rightly be confronted. Everything should be done, as the Belgian Confession makes clear, to maintain harmony and unity and to keep all in obedience to God. Or as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, we should make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Our scripture reading for this evening from Paul's letter to the Galatians helps us to understand the teaching of the confession uh, in the context of scripture. Paul reminds us all that the call of the gospel is a call to freedom. We are freed from bondage to the law, but more than that, we are freed from our bondage to sin. We are freed from the chains of sin that bind us and hold us down and keep us away from God. We are freed to live lives of holiness and righteousness and justice and peace. We are freed to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, even as we journey in this life through the kingdoms of the earth. People of God, both the Belgian Confession and Paul's letter to the Galatians were written for churches living under persecution, wrestling with the legal and political consequences of living out their faith. In the time of the Roman Empire, when Paul wrote his letter to the Galatians, to be a citizen of the empire was to agree to proclaim Caesar as the son of God, as the Lord of all the earth. Citizens, especially citizens who were living outside of Rome, like the people in Galatia would have been, were encouraged to demonstrate their patriotism 
by offering sacrifices and prayers to a statue of Caesar's likeness in the imperial cult. They were encouraged as part of their civic duty to include an image of Caesar on their mantelpiece along with their other idols and to pray to Caesar as faithfully as they prayed to the patron gods of their households, families, guilds, and towns. During the Reformation, when the Belgian Confession was written, Reformed Christians lived under a system of government that was very closely tied up with the official church. And so for them, excommunication from the church also meant exile from the political and legal protections of citizenship. Christians who protested the abuses of the church were separated from their families, imprisoned, exiled, tortured, and put to death. Both the Christians in Galatia and the Christians, the Reformed Christians in Europe, were wondering, how do we faithfully live out our faith in a world that demands non-biblical things of us? How do we live out our faith in a world of idolatry? How do I live out my faith in a world and a culture that constantly encourages, that even demands that I do things that are contrary to the word of God? And Paul's advice to the Galatians is to live in step with the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God bears good fruit that is evident to all. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What society has laws prohibiting these things? What society has laws against people who are good and kind? My pharmacist here in Kitchener is an Egyptian Christian named Mina, and he worships at our old building on Ottawa Street at St. Mary's Coptic Orthodox Church. And I ran into him this past Wednesday, and he shared with me that it was a special day for Coptic Christians this past Wednesday. It was the Apostolic Feast Day of St. Peter and St. Paul, the day when Coptic Christians celebrate the life witness, martyrdom, and writings of these two great apostles. And so Mina told me they had been fasting for a week, and Wednesday morning he went to church early in the morning together with his people to worship God and thank him for the gift of Peter and Paul to the church. And Mina told me that he really likes the writings of St. Paul because he finds that it's good advice for living a life in a society that is sometimes contrary to the gospel. He told me that Paul basically says, keep your head down and be a nice person, and God will be pleased. And there are tr there's truth in those words. Much of Paul's ethical advice can indeed be summarized in the words, keep your head down and be a nice person. A life characterized by quiet faithfulness certainly pleases God. It doesn't mean we will be successful. It doesn't mean we will become rich. It doesn't mean that we won't face difficulties from the powers of this world. 
But when we walk in step with the Spirit, we walk with God. And in so doing, we can be assured of our salvation, even when we face troubles in this world. Paul shows us in chapter 6 here as well, how the church ought rightly to exercise its spiritual authority. When he shows us that someone caught in a sin ought to be restored gently and carefully by those who are spiritual. The church's authority for discipleship and discipline, as we've seen, is rightly a spiritual authority, not a political or social authority. And when discipline, especially in the form of excommunication, is paired with legal and political consequences, as it has been sometimes in the past, it loses its power as a spiritual tool. Discipline is discipleship. The faithfulness of believers in proclaiming the mighty acts of God from one generation to the next and witnessing to that truth in their lives. Any form of discipline ought always to have at its end the goal of, a re of reconciliation between a sinner and God and his people. The cool thing is that when we live in the way that God intends, when we live in step with the Spirit, when we bear the fruit of the Spirit, we join a movement that has cosmic implications. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these are simple ways that we, as God's people, witness to his faithfulness, to his character. And in so doing, we confront and resist the idolatry of this world. Through his spirit, God gives us what we need to resist the lies of our culture, to live generously in a world that tells us that everything is scarce, to shine the light in a world of darkness, to wage peace in a world at war. May God continue to provide for his people that we may trust in him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said,